I want to welcome you to Daily Drive Time Devotions. We're studying together through the Gospel of John, and this week, John chapter 7. Day 1 of our look at John chapter 7, we're going to look at verses 1 to 10 today. Really, this whole chapter, John 7, is about a single question. Are you thirsty? And where, if you're thirsty, do you get your spiritual thirst quenched? In many ways, this chapter reads like a desert of doubt with an oasis of trust right in the middle. It's a picture of all the wrong places that we turn to get our inner thirst quenched. And right in the middle of it all, towards the end, actually, of the chapter, there is this powerful, there's this memorable example of the only place that our inner thirst can truly be quenched. I just want to remind you, as we talk about spiritual thirst being quenched, this is true whether you're not yet a believer in Christ or already a believer in Christ. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, you can look to other things, other places, wrong places, wrong things to get this spiritual thirst quenched and stay thirsty every single day of your life. As we launch into this chapter, I just want to remind you also that the focus is getting tighter and tighter as far as timelines as we move through the book of John. John chapter 1 verse 1 focuses on the life of Jesus from the beginning. It's a pretty long timeline. And then John chapter 1 through 6 focuses on the first two and a half years of Jesus' ministry, first six chapters. But then the next four chapters, 7 to 10, focuses on just the next six months of Jesus' life and ministry, so a more intense focus. And then when we get to John 11, John 11 to the end of the book focuses on just the last week of Jesus' ministry. And as we walk through this gospel of John, as we hit this incredible statement of Jesus in John chapter 7, I just want to set it up for you by what happens in verse 1 and verse 2. In verse 1, the Bible says, After this, Jesus went around in Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea, because the Jews there were waiting to take his life. Jesus was staying away. He was staying in the north. He was staying in Galilee. He wasn't going down to Judea in the south because he did not want to put God to the test. Jesus had spiritual wisdom, and so he knew that it was not yet time for him to go to a cross, not yet time for the, the crowds to be all around him and all that was going to happen because of that to occur. So he waited. He waited on God's timing. Now, God's timing to go there at least once is coming near. And so in verse 2, this happens. The Bible says there when the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near. Remember last week we talked about the fact that if you're going to understand the Gospels, you have to understand the Jewish calendar? Well, here's a reminder of that, this Feast of Tabernacles. To understand John chapter 7, you have to understand the Feast of Tabernacles because the whole chapter is built around this feast that happened in, in Jerusalem. This Feast of Tabernacles, let me just take a couple minutes to just go through some bullet points about it. It was one of the three feasts for which Jews were required to travel to Jerusalem if they lived within a certain distance of Jerusalem. So it was an important feast. It took place five days after the High Holy Day of Yom Kippur. It was a feast that lasted eight days. The first and last of those were Sabbaths, days of rest. And this was the feast, you might remember this, where people would move out of their houses and they would live in tents. Actually, they were called booths that they would make out in their yards where they would remind themselves of the fact that the people of Israel had had to live in temporary shelters while they went from their captivity in Egypt to the Promised Land. In fact, there were other reminders of this journey towards the Promised Land in this Feast of Tabernacles. During this feast, the temple area was illuminated by some large candlesticks, and they were reminders of the pillars of fire that had led the people of Israel as the glory of God as they went towards the Promised Land. During this celebration, there were temple trumpets that were blown on each day, reminding people of the greatness, the glory of God. And also during this 
Feast of Tabernacles, water each day would be brought up from the Pool of Siloam to be poured on the altar in front of the temple as a reminder of the rock that flowed from the water miraculously to supply the needs of the Israelites during the Exodus. Now, as we walk through this chapter, Jesus is going to teach us some things about what that rock, the rock that the water poured out of to quench their thirst, what that rock really represented. This Feast of Tabernacles, it looked back to Israel's journey through the wilderness, and it looked forward to the promised kingdom of the Messiah. So with that in mind, here's what happens in verse 3. Jesus' brothers said to him, now remember here, they're in Galilee. Jesus' brothers said to him, you ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Now, this whole chapter is about thirst and about how we get our spiritual thirst quenched. Each day of this week, we're going to look at a way that doesn't work to get your spiritual thirst quenched. And the last day, we're going to look at Jesus' dramatic teaching about what does work. And when we talk about getting our inner thirst quenched, there's a lot of ways that people try to get that thirst quenched that we know are wrong. I mean, if I get involved in this addiction or this habit or this relationship that tears my family apart, and I think that through that, I'm going to get my inner thirst quenched, we know that is wrong. Those are not the ways of chasing after getting our thirst quenched that is focused on in this chapter. Instead, it focuses on the, uh, the nicer ways, the more popular ways, the more accepted ways that we try to get our thirst quenched. In fact, as these brothers talk to Jesus, you see one of those. You see human strategy. Human strategies can't satisfy this inner thirst. Now, I would call this the political solution. And we think, if I just strategize well enough, if we just get the right people together, then we can come up with a solution. That's what these brothers were doing. They were doing it in verse 5 in spite of the fact they didn't really even believe in him. If they had, they wouldn't have made these kind of human strategy suggestions. Now, by the way, before we go on, why didn't they believe in him? They'd grown up with Jesus. I believe it's because of familiarity with Jesus. This can happen to all of us. You get so close to something that you miss the miracle. You miss the wonder of it all. And Jesus' brothers, we, we know there were at least four, by the way. Mark 6, 3 tells us that James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon were Jesus' brothers. These brothers were so close that they couldn't see who Jesus really was. So they came up with their idea of how he should act. Now, by the way, later they do believe. And James and Jude are written by two of these brothers, two of the books in the New Testament. But here they're not yet on board. And this same thing can happen to us as believers. We can become so familiar with the things of God that they don't feel as powerful anymore. They don't seem as significant anymore. And so we begin to come up with human strategies to try to make them feel more powerful, and it never works because that's not what we need. We just need to reconnect with the truth, the reality of who God is. What we do is we try to help God out. We bring in our ideas to make him better. And it sounds about as silly as these brothers' ideas. Did you notice their political advice as we read through those verses? They said, go to Judea. You need a bigger audience, they were saying. There's more people there than here. They said, so your disciples can see the miracles. Give them what they want, they were saying. That's what any political strategist would say. Don't act in secret, they said. You need a better strategy. Let's make this more public. Show yourself, they said. You need better advertising. These are all just human ways to try to accomplish this this quenching of the thirst. And and by the way, these are also verses for anyone who's ever received bad advice from their family. 
Jesus understands. He got some bad advice from his own brothers. These brothers said, here's what we think you should do. And Jesus says in verses 6 to 10, and therefore Jesus told them, the right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. You go to the feast. I'm not yet going up to the feast because for me, the right time has not yet come. Having said this, he stayed in Galilee. Jesus' answer was, I'll do it in God's time. That's how you confront this human strategy, political solution in our lives. I'll do it in God's time. You look to God's timing. My time has not yet come. He said, it will come, but it has not yet come. Now, I just want to remind you that Jesus is talking to his brothers here. So when he says, the right time for me has not yet come, for you any time is right, some people try to make this into this broad spiritual principle. No, Jesus is talking to his brothers. He's saying, it's not yet time for me to go to the feast, but you can go to the feast anytime you want. They don't hate you. They're not going to try to crucify you. Here's the important point in what Jesus is saying. When he says, my time has not yet come, the important point, the point not to miss is this. Jesus understood God's timing. In his case, God's timing had to do with hate. He says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Because of their hate, the world was going to eventually put him on a cross. And it was not yet time for him to go to the cross. You see, Jesus understood something. He knew it was God's will for him to go to the cross, but he knew it was not yet time for him to go on the cross. There is a difference between God's will and God's timing. If you get that, that sentence, you will understand something about the working of God in your life that many people never get. There is a difference between God's will and God's timing. It may be God's will for you to move, but not yet time. God's will for you to get married, but not yet time. God's will for you to start a new ministry, but the timing isn't right yet. And so Jesus talked about the right time. And I found in my own life, it requires a lot more spiritual discernment to understand God's timing than it does to understand God's will. Truth is, you're probably facing a decision right now where you need to understand God's timing. Maybe you need to understand his will as well. As we end today, this look at Jesus' work in our lives, how he wants to quench our thirst, I want to pray for you. I want to pray that God will give you understanding of both his will and his timing in your life. Lord, I pray for all of us. As we think about you and your work in our lives, you often show us what it is that you want to do in our lives. We understand your direction, but we also want to understand your timing. Help us not to, to rush ahead of you. Help us not to lag behind you. I pray that through the people around us, through your word, through your prompting, through your spirit in our hearts, you'd help us to understand your timing. Help us to be patient until the right time. And help us to be passionate when the right time comes. We need your strength to do this, Jesus. We need your direction for this, Holy Spirit. And so we ask for it. We ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, join us tomorrow. We're going to be looking together at verses 11 to 24.